What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Rewind, a show part of the Wayward World podcast. I'm I'm Sid, and joining me today is Robert Tomberry, amazing actor and not Lord of the Rings character. <laughs> I made that joke already. I was like, I, th- I thought I made, I thought I'd make it again. Tom Bombadil. Yeah, I just watched a YouTube video on Tom Bombadil and uh, Gandalf and their history because yeah. YouTube is fun. Yeah. Do you think they'll have him again in like the Lord of the Rings like TV show that they're doing? Who? Tom Bombadil. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, that would be really interesting. I have no idea the context of yeah, the I Tom. So. I don't know who Tom Bombadil is. Like, I just know that he was an important character in the books, which I've never read. It's been years since I read them. I, you would think I would remember more after watching the YouTube video on him lately, but I, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I was very late, and I might have been a little stoned. So, uh, <laughs> how are you doing, Robert? We'll see. <laughs> What was that? Oh, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Sid. How are you doing? Today? I'm doing all right. You know, like it's uh, been crazy. Like I, um, it, like just last week recording with uh, Khalif Adams. I mean, for us in this context, it was yesterday. So still riding off that. He's a really cool guy. And um, I'm very excited for the future of the show. How about you? What have you been up to? Oh, I've been, uh, ooh, what have I not been up to lately? Um, I just uh, closed my second weekend of the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged Mm -hmm. uh, with the Spokane Shakespeare Society last night. So I have a nice four or five day break before I have to go back in and do a couple more shows. Um, Mm -hmm. Before that, I did Twelfth Night with the Spokane Ensemble Theater. And uh, yeah, before that, I produced about... I'm on right now the fifth iteration of Masterpiece Monologues that I'm producing for Stage Left Theater. And uh, and did an Iliad in January. So I've uh, and remounted Lonely Planet for the national competition of AACT. So I've been, you know, I've been I've been resting a lot during this uh, pandemic. And you did all that in one week. (laughs) Not all one week, but in the whole past year, the past week, I've been sleeping. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Trying to at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you probably deserve it. Like after like this long I mean, like doing like shows back to back, like I can't imagine doing that anymore. You know, it's uh, I'm ready for a break. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, everybody is listening now. Everybody will be hearing this. I am taking a break in January of 2022. Nice. There, I've said it. It's, it's going out. I will be taking a break in January of 2022, probably a two month break. So I will not be on stage. Mm-hmm. in a while yeah why did <laughs> you think i finished my yeah why did you think you, why did you wanted to take on so much i mean was it because of like everything shutting down and you missing like doing it like is was that the reason why you were just like consistently non-stop doing theater stuff you know i had the time uh, um i was i was at home uh i was chatting i was having coffee with uh jeremy whittington the managing director managing artistic director of stage left and uh Paul Watts is a very good friend of mine. So yeah, did you feel like um, you were doing all this theater stuff like in the last year because like there was a lack of it? I don't know if there was a lack of it. I think it was because I had the time. I mean, there was a lack of it because we were shut down because of the pandemic. But I think because I had the time and I was given the opportunity from Jeremy at Stage Left um, and, you know, we'd meet once a week. We'd just chat. We'd talk about the state of theater and what was happening in Spokane. And then, you know, I just said, let's do it. 
let's just make some art. Why not? Let's see if we can make this happen over the pandemic and do virtual stuff. And then we did. And, you know, MM, Masterpiece Monologues, that I am, I'm finishing producing my final producing role on this show. This iteration will be this one that comes out in October. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's weird. Like we did a, we did a colloquium at GU uh, after I did an Iliad and we talked about how uh, Paul Watts, Paul J. Watts brought up um, a great point that was like, you know, we just had an idea. So we said, let's do it. <laughs> Why not make art? Why not? No one else is doing it. Let's do it. So we did it. And I think it's it's been pretty successful so far. Yeah, yeah, and you, and you got a little promotion too. Like, uh, tell what what's your role there now? I, I did. I am Twelfth Night, but I can't remember now what it was. <laughs> I am the I am the resident artist at Stage Left Theater and mm-hmm. a current board president of Stage Left. Damn. Yeah, that's right, Mr. President. <laughs> yeah. I just got my business cards the other day. I feel really official. Nice, nice. I, I got my business cards too, actually. Like, let me, uh, I don't want I be... loved it when <laughs> you gave it to me. It's in my wallet downstairs. Yeah, it's right here. Still. Yeah, look at that. I don't want to show the back because it has my phone number on it. <laughs> oh, I don't care. Mine has my number on it. Where's mine? Here, here we go. Yeah. Let's see if I can. There it is. Yeah. Dope with this stage left on it. Yeah. But you, yeah, you could hardly see the number, so that's fine. Oh, uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They can see it if they want. Yeah. Um, the audio. I feel bad. They can get a hold of me. I feel bad for the audio listeners who can't see these cards, but you know you should watch it on YouTube. But uh, there's this one too. I um. Oh. Those are the OG cards that I, I used to have. Yeah, I'm covering up my phone number and stuff back there. But that was back when I had the traveling theater company for Wayward Artists. When I approached you, I do, do you remember this story? Like of, uh, it was the Spokane Civic Theater, um, like party thing for like their season and i was like robert um we should do like a play like we should just sneak into gonzaga into their classroom and the lobster one yeah it was the lobster wow you remember there you go and we just like we should just do the show in this classroom yeah. and because it looks like a presentation you could just look like you're a professor or something <laughs> <laughs> we should yeah i still want to do that show with you one day yeah one day maybe when uh i feel like it <laughs> yeah one day. You- we'll do it yeah. Um, no, but that's so cool that like you've been like doing all this stuff and you're being recognized for it. Like, like or you got recognized for it. You know, uh, I'm not just the only person who got the Spokane Arts uh, nomination. You did, too. What did you get nominated for? I did. I was nominated for Imagination because apparently I have one. Um, <laughs> that's a really know. that was a really interesting like category. That's for sure. Like imagination. It was an interesting category. I mean, I. It was it was really nice to be nominated with everybody that was there. Um, you know, uh, Kate Lebo won, and I have pre-ordered her book, uh, The Book of Difficult Fruit, and I am so excited to read it because I think it's a fascinating and brilliant idea. Poems, recipes, and essays on the difficult fruit of the Pacific Northwest. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, no, that sounds good. Um, I, uh, yeah, being part of, like, the inclusion one was really interesting because, like, I feel like that's that's what I've been doing. You know, like uh, when I was campaigning to like get that nomination, I was like, hey, yeah, you should like y'all should nominate me for something. I was like, oh, yeah. What do you want to be nominated for? I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I feel like I feel all these categories, honestly. Um, But to be nominated for inclusion was like very interesting. That's for sure. 
uh didn't win but we partied we partied i um i think we partied from like 3 p.m to like midnight yeah i saw you when you i saw you at the arts awards and then i saw you at my show that evening and then you all were going out afterwards and i was like i'm going to go home and go to bed yeah because you run around in that you run around in that show a lot it's just so much it's 90 minutes of non-stop chaos mm-hmm. yeah 97 minutes of non-stop chaos but yeah mm-hmm. so um what what else is there left to talk about like well what else do you want the, the good wayward artists out there to know about you that they didn't know about in your second like in your inaugural episode oh i don't know i mean i i you know i've i've now accepted a new position in the theater community here mm-hmm. um I am now the executive director of the Spokane Ensemble Theater. Oh, uh, that, that's right. Oh, wait. You, 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 did you tell me that? I, I can't remember if you did. Uh, I told you that after one of the shows. Actually, I think I told you that at the Spokane Arts Awards. They're making the announcement, I believe. I think they're updating the website and doing it sometime in the next week. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, no, it's yeah. I'm now officially the, the, the executive director of the Spokane Ensemble Theater as well. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? You might have told me after uh, Shakespeare abridged, uh, but I was also kind of drunk. <laughs> Still, like I, um, I it's the best to... way to see that show. It's the best <laughs> way to see that show. So yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was like uh, I think the problem with that drunkenness was like it was like towards the end of like the drunk uh, binger. But then we drank some more later on, <laughs> and it yeah. got yeah. But no, congratulations! Look at you, um, just. Just being you, being executive and everything and all that stuff. You know, it's you know, I I love performing. I will always love performing. But I have been wanting to move into management of a theater for a long time because I think that, you know, I I work with the community in mind and everything that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, how does whatever we create facilitate growth and you know not even growth but like inclusion diversity how does it include all of that into spokane because this is such a thriving arts community and you you would never you would never expect it right away but as soon as you get into it it's like oh wow you know we have what four theaters here now in spokane more i mean four well you know your civic stage left um spokane ensemble theater uh Spokane Shakespeare Society, you have a spire that's over in Coeur d'Alene, you've got CYT that does shows both in North Idaho and here in Spokane, you've got Blue Door Theater, you've got, uh, I feel bad if I leave anybody out, but I'm, I'm probably going to because I don't remember them all because we have so many of them. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's like you get involved with it. And then even in the art scene, you've got, you know, graphic designers coming like Joshua Thomas, and then you have, you know, um, fine artists like, um, uh, Daniel Lopez, who's doing all the projects now, and you've got you go around and you see this thriving art scene that's happening, and you're like, I want to be a part of that. Nice. I want to make sure that we have more things coming in Spokane that will integrate everyone together, and make sure that we are a true community that are building things for the community with the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk a little bit more about that. But before we do, uh, Wayward Artist, this is the Rewind. It's part of the Wayward World podcast. Each and every Sunday, we upload an episode at 10 p.m. Pacific time on the YouTube channel, Wayward World Podcast. And um, the way you can support the show is on patreon.com slash waywardworldpodcast. Uh, donate at the dollar or above level, and you'll get a lot of cool stuff. The dollar level is uh, more like, you know, just a small tip. Get me something off the dollar menu off of McDonald's. Um, if you want to really support and get the show early, uh, $5 and above will get you some cool perks. So go check it out. Um, you can catch the show on youtube.com 
uh, just look up Wayward World Podcast because uh, YouTube thinks we don't have enough subscribers to have a URL. So um, please give us more subscribers so we can get a URL. <laughs> and then uh, you can listen to us on podcast services everywhere. Anything with the cast at the end of it, uh, we are there. Shout out to Jared Petty of the Top 100 Games Podcast for being my podcast dad. Now, Tom, uh, I was like, why did they call you Tom? I did it again. Bombadil, it's back again. No, you know, I, I'm, yeah. all, I'm all for it. I'm all well, for it. I no, love it. No, well, I wasn't going to call you Bombadil. I was just going to call you Tom, you know, because I, I was thinking of Tom Barry. <laughs> uh, Robert, um, I want to ask you a question here because, like, it's very fascinating seeing how much you've grown in this community compared to, like, when I've talked to you last year about how you were feeling about Spokane and, you know, maybe not necessarily, we're not going to go into like, you know, specific like details that you shared with me, but it was, it, was, it seemed like at the time that, um, and especially like you coming back from London and everything like that, you were feeling kind of down about Spokane. Yeah. Can you like um, compare the Spokane that you used to know, like theater wise, comparing it to now, and especially like during this pandemic, like how, how do you feel about being a theater artist in Spokane in general? I honestly love working in this community. You know, I, I chose to come back to Spokane after I graduated uh, from the Royal Bourbon Conservatoire with my MFA. And there's just something so special about this city. And I, you know, I could have moved anywhere in the world and I wanted to come back here. And I came back and I took a break because uh, I needed a break after grad school. And then, you know, I started getting involved in the arts community here. And yeah, you know, I was, it was frustrating at first. I was like, okay, so this is how it is right now. Let's change it. Bring some more professional theater into Spokane. Because surprisingly enough for me, I was like, this market that we have here, we don't have a professional theater. Um, you know, and then along came uh, Spokane Shakespeare Society and Spokane Ensemble Theater. And now even Stage Left is going to start paying their artists, their performers for the shows that they do. And then they'll be, you know, charged for audience help uh, pay for performances that are happening. So I think we're right here. And, and you even look at Spokane Playwrights Laboratory with new works. Like we are right here on the precipice of an amazing just arts explosion in Spokane. And it's so, it feels really good to have helped maintain that trajectory that Spokane is on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, like, I, I really like that. Um, I'm really glad that Stage Left is adopting the, the tip jar thing. I would like to say that I pioneered that <laughs> because that's what we were doing. <laughs> you were doing it with your show that you did at Baby Bar, yeah? Yeah, Baby Bar. We were going to do yeah. it for the the thing that I got the grant for. Like, uh, all the tips would have gone to the actors um, at the end of the night. And, yeah, I would like to say that I pioneered it, but I don't know. Maybe someone else did. <laughs> like, uh, theater-wise, like, uh, there's tip jars, obviously, for, like, a million other things. But, like, uh, I, I never really saw it in theaters. I was like, you know what? I, we, we need a tip jar here for because the, these actors got to eat, you know? I didn't see it in theaters either. And that's why, you know, I was just like, you know, I remember when I moved back, before I moved back, down in, um, you know, I was down in Boise. They had the Modern still. They had, which was taken over by Interplayers, or Interplayers and taken over by the Modern. And, you know, that was a two locations. So there was a semi-professional theater here in Spokane. And, you know, when it closed down before I moved back from the UK, it was like, oh, so you have all these exceptional artists in Spokane and they're having to travel elsewhere to do professional work. Why can't we have them staying in Spokane? Why can't we have them continue to work in Spokane, in this community of which they're from? We all want to tell stories in the communities where we're from. So let's make that happen. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, you sound just like Ginger, <clears throat> Ginger Ewing. Um, 
wanting to like on a bigger scale, like just like to be an artist in general in Spokane and look at what they've done. Like with the oh, bizarre. I love what terrain has done. I love what terrain has done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And bizarre is amazing. Um, terrain, How much art did you buy at the bazaar? Well, um, I don't know. If, let me, there he is. I just bought this guy. I, I, I I'm saving money. Oh, a Danny though, DeVito one. Yeah. I, like <laughs> I'm, I'm saving money, quote unquote, even though I just spent a lot of money on this Disneyland trip. That I went to. Um, yeah. It's just art's hard because it's like, where am I going to put it? You know, like Danny DeVito, like I knew right away he was going to sit right there. I need a better. You have to. Yeah. But like um, art in general is just hard because like, I don't know where to put it. <laughs> I love art. I don't have enough room in my room mm-hmm. to put up all of the art that I have purchased over the pandemic. Art mm-hmm. makes me very, very happy. Mm-hmm. Like I have a gallery and I, I bought so much art at the bazaar because I love buying art from local artists and keeping supporting, you know, our local thriving arts community that's here. Um, so it's just, you know, one of those things now where I'm like, okay, I have enough art to where I can have like four different seasons throughout my entire year where I can just change it out and be like, ah, yes, this is what's going to be on the wall this day in my gallery. So, yeah, I, um, I try not to buy like art, like manufactured art, you know what I mean? Like, like corporate art. I mean, I say that and I have these Star Wars posters, but like these were like all free. <laughs> but they're also, but you're also in, you know, you love Star Wars. You mm-hmm. love the Marvel and Disney movies. So, yes. And, oh, and yeah. you know, if I would, I, they just don't, I mean, I love them. I love them. I, I have, uh, Jeremy actually gave me for my 29th birthday earlier this year, he gave me his uh, Deadpool. Oh, Deadpool? Deadpool, but it's poo, like Winnie the Pooh. Oh, Deadpool. And you can see it in the twelfth night, uh, in the twelfth night one that I came on and did on your podcast. You can see it hanging on my door. Uh, yeah. Deadpool, yeah, yeah. I think we can. Um, I kind of cropped everything, so it was kind of hard. I, I, I'll have to look for it again. <laughs> um, so tell me about you then, like as an artist, like how do you feel compared to like pre-pandemic, like uh, artist Tom, uh, Robert Tomberry to this pandemic Robert Tomberry? Like, do you feel like you've changed at all? Like the- I think I've changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I quit drinking during the pandemic, so I'm really? I'm over a year sober now. So I don't I don't drink anymore. Um, and uh, it's changed how I look at the world and how I look at art. Um, you know, I it's weird. Like I, I look at how I was before the pandemic, which was like, oh, let's just do the shows. Let's just do everything we want to do. And I think. I always make the joke is I've, I've recondoed my life because mm-hmm. if it does not bring me joy, I do no longer do it. Um, so I'm very selective about the projects that I want to be on and the projects that I want to work on. And I guess I'm fortunate that I've, I've come to a point in my career where I can be selective about the shows that I want to work on and the people that I want to work with, mm-hmm. because I think that's important. You have to do what you love and love what you do. And I am in a place right now in my life where I get to do both. And that's important to me. And I don't want to lose that. Um, you know, working with the people that I get to work with, uh, Chelsea, Josephine and Rio at Spoken Ensemble Theater, Jeremy Whittington, uh, Joy Wood, uh, everyone at stage left. Like, you know, I, I love the people that I work with because 
we just, we don't compromise. We like telling good stories because we know that that's what needs to happen. And it's very refreshing and so cool to see in a community like Spokane, where I was growing up here, I never expected anything like this to happen. Mm-hmm. And now I'm here and I'm just, I'm helping make it continue to happen with everyone else. And so it's like, we all have this community mindset where we're just like, let's do it. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned about myself over the pandemic is let's just do it. You know, I fell in love with uh, producing, moving into the management side of theater more than being on stage. I mean, yeah, I was in front of the camera for Masterpiece Monologues and I created the show and I was on for Words to Change the World, another show that I created, but I didn't really act as much. I, I mean, I have over the past few shows with other theaters, but I have very much been behind the scenes making connections for younger artists with, you know, leaders in the community, helping build relationships that can happen because that's what we need to do. That's the only way the arts will continue to thrive in Spokane and in this region is we have to create those connections and maintain them and build those bridges. Mm-hmm. On your uh, producing thing, like I just got to say, <clears throat> like I think like it, it, there's like a, a good satisfactory of like, you know, performing on stage. Like we both have done that before, but like when you're making your own thing and then like you get to see other people like um, like putting all the pieces together and just seeing it all work, you know, like that is like the best feeling in the whole world. You feel like for me, like whenever our, this show like comes together, like it's just like a big brain moment. Cause like I'm the on-air like talent, but also I'm like behind the scenes, like just like trying to get people to come on. It's like, dang, all these little little pieces are like fitting together in this little puzzle that I made. That I made. <laughs> it's just, it's one of my favorite things in the world. Like I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I am scared shitless whenever I watch a masterpiece monologues or I watch something that I've produced because I have put so much work into it. And I, I just, I feel like I just, I want the community to feel the same way that I do about the art that I create. And that I, I just want them to know that we did this with love because that's all we had for us right now. It's like, we're doing this because we want to make sure that you remember that we're still here. Mm-hmm. We're still making art and we're not doing it for us. We're doing it for you. Um, yeah, we did it because we had the time and we were bored and we really wanted to do it. But we also needed to do it because it was important to remind everybody that we're still here. The arts are still here. And when I moved into the producing side of it, it was it was very surprising to me how much I loved it. And being able to see the work that everybody was doing and helping create that moment on stage and even seeing it virtually. You know, I'm so happy we're moving back to live performances in January. Uh, Well, no, I have one in December, but, you know, Stage Left kicks off their season in January, their first official season since COVID shut theaters down. And I'm just enthralled and so happy and feel so privileged to have been a part of getting us to this point with everyone else in the community that has also been working toward you. You were a big part of that, too, reminding people that we're artists. Mm-hmm. we're just here and we just want to make things yeah the wayward artists you know that's where the term comes from going against the grain and because we had to you know during this to. yeah during this whole thing i mean um there are some like places and organizations you don't you just don't hear about anymore like it's because like they just like haven't changed <laughs> unfortunately so it's just like uh we kind of all had to, we had, we all had to find something to, um, 
help us grow. But also just like, I think like the pandemic of anything, like helped us realize like what was missing, like all the, like this whole time when it comes to like uh, inclusivity and like, you know, Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. And, um, you know, talking about Khalif uh, earlier um, in the episode, like he brought on uh, a bunch of black video game uh, podcast creators and they all sat down and, you know, like, unfortunately that was the, uh, that was the episode that I, uh, I found, you know, I, I would have loved to have found him during a, you know, like talking about video games and like happy stuff, but it was like on the hype, uh, like on the height of like the George Floyd incident and the black lives matter. And, you know, that really opened a lot of doors that episode to, uh, to not just him, but like the people in that video as well. And it was very, it, it highlighted a lot of stuff and it, like it did so in like in the theater too, I think like with, you know, what, w- regardless of how you feel about them, like the times up, what not times up, what are they called? It was the, we see you, the, we see you, the um, we see you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have thoughts about, them, but I think like they um, like, again, like they were just another group that was highlighting like, like a lot of stuff that was going on um, that has been going on for a long time. And I think, you know, it's really interesting. I've been here in Spokane for about eight years, maybe nine, I think like it's, it's been so long uh, that I don't even call myself, you know, I'm from Saudi Arabia now. Like I'm from Spokane, Washington, because like when you live here, Spokane now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Cause like, I don't know what's going on in Saudi Arabia anymore. So it's like, you know, it's very interesting to see almost like a Renaissance like here in Spokane with like this theater stuff. And I hope like it continues, but like it used to always just be uh, the civic theater or like even, even back then too, it was like uh, inner players and the modern theater, like when I was still around and, you know, stage left was there, you know, they were, they were there, they were just chilling. They were doing some cool stuff and uh, they were kind of doing like the edgy stuff that no one else wanted to do. And you, you thought like, Oh, it's a cool niche theater. But like now like I look at Spokane stage left and I'm like, you know, the, like there's with their season and everything, like they're doing Rocky, the Rocky horror show or um, Hedwig and the angry inch and like big shows now, along with like what they're, what they've been used to be known as like, uh, as doing like this niche and like doing plays that were unknown. So like they've evolved so much, like it, it's, it's very fascinating how much it's all like the theater scene seems like it's changed within the last year. It really has, and I think it's because, you know, I, I can only speak for what we've been doing at Stage Left, which is, you know, what we've been doing is we've been trying to create an environment that is inclusive, that is, you know, welcoming, that is stress-free, that is fun, because that's what art is. You know, we call it a play for a reason. You're supposed to play. It's supposed to be fun. Mm-hmm. And, I, I you know, I, I, I think that was the hard thing for me when I first came back, was that it seemed... I was, and I don't know if it was the theater world that changed so much or as it was just in me in general is that I realized that I, I can have fun while I do these things. It's not just a job. Like, yeah, I do this professionally for my living, but it's not just a job. You know, it, it is, you have to enjoy what you do. And I think having that mentality switch really helped me grow more as an artist because it made me want to be more active in this community and create these opportunities for more people to be involved in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, I think what's fascinating about doing my podcast and everything, like 
um, I spoke to Jared Petty, you know, we're, we're cool. We're buds. And uh, I was talking about, Hey, do you think like this at all can like be monetized? <laughs> and like, like uh, what, what is your take on that as somebody who, you know, he worked at IGN, uh, the Imagine Gaming Network, um, Google, EA games and stuff like that. Now he works at limited run gaming. Um, I was like, yo, you've, you've been doing this for a long time. Like, do you think like it's possible to make money out of it? And he was like, you know, yeah, like with time and everything. But like the one thing he told me to prepare for was like getting ready for this to be like a, a business, you know, like when it's an actual business. And I think that's where a lot of people drop off because when there have been moments during the show where I was like, man, do I really want to upload this episode today? Like, uh, there, there are a couple, like, honestly, like I, I threw out a couple of project ideas. I'm like, I don't really want to do it, but I still keep it with the, like the main show and, you know, like the projects, I still keep wanting to do it. Uh, and the reason because of that is, um, what, what comes out of it, you know, the enjoyment and, um, like, not just the enjoyment for me, but the enjoyment for the other people that were on it or like seeing other people like comment on those videos and just being like, man, um, like Kyle's video, for example, Faye, um, I clipped out uh, their little segment talking about being true to themselves. I don't know if you saw that. I don't think I saw that one, no. Yeah, Faye, uh, drag queen, lovely person, person uh, that I dated, who is my best friend now. <laughs> uh, and she talked about, um, I, I asked her the question like, what is one thing you want to tell little Kyle, you know, that you, you, you'd want to tell him like that you want him to know. And, you know, it was so touching and emotional and his family saw that video and uh, his friends and they all loved it. And uh, it got a lot of views on TikTok too. So <laughs> there was that as well. So, you know, like seeing stuff like that, it's like, make it, it's like, dang, there, there is purpose in this. Like people, like, despite like how small the audience is right now, like people really enjoy it. And like, when I pitch it to like a Khalif Adams or um, Jared Petty or stuff like that and telling him like how it's impacted, like the small group that we have, like they see it and they're like, dang, this is really cool that like, what you're doing. And I'm like, oh man, this feels valid. And like, you know, awards are cool too. Cause it also means like, Hey, we want to give you, we want to possibly give you this award because we, <laughs> we got nominated, so we didn't actually win, but um, it, like to be nominated, even to like be recognized, it's like, dang, this is so cool. Like, and it all came from like adapting to what was lacking at the moment, which was connection. I honestly can tell you that's exactly how I felt. You know, I was extremely surprised that I was nominated for an arts award. Like, mm -hmm. I was extremely surprised, like me personally, that I was nominated for one because I, you know, I, I really was not expecting it. Um, I always knew, I knew that Jeremy was going to get one. I knew you were going to get one. I knew that Stage Left was going to be nominated, but I, I did not expect for me to get one because I really haven't, you know, I've been in, okay, I've been involved in the Spokane Theater really for two years now, but I just didn't expect it. You know, I didn't think that, I'd really put the time in, you know, and I think I have to keep going back and remembering that it's not just about the amount of time you put in, it's the work that you do for the community while you're here. Um, and that's important. And that's been, yeah, it was, it was one of the things that I really saw at that arts celebration was that it was a celebration. Like mm -hmm. we're here. We still did this throughout the entirety of a pandemic. We were still making art. 
And we were having fun while doing it. Everybody there was having fun while doing it. So, you know, when I watched all the videos of the different different groups that were nominated and the different people that were nominated, I was like, wow, this is some amazing organizations and people to be nominated with. Like, look at the work that everyone has done. And not just for doing the work, but because we love this community. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it really, it lived, it was what my heart needed that day. It was yeah. what my heart needed that day. Yeah, it was like uh, the yeah. little celebration thing. Like, I kind of uh, underestimated, like, how important that day was going to be. Like, I thought it was just going to be, oh, I've, I've been to similar things before where it's like, oh, we'll, we'll meet with friends and we'll chat and stuff like that. Maybe get to know some, a couple of new people as well. And, you know, yeah, it's kind of like what you said. Like, I feel like my heart needed it because I, I I think I realized at that moment, I was like, dang, I haven't been, we haven't done this <laughs> in a whole year, like properly like met in person uh, to celebrate our accomplishments. Well, it had been, it had been over a year because the last year's State 20 Awards for Spokane Arts was entirely virtual. Mm-hmm. That's right. So it's been, that was the first time in over a year that everybody had gotten together and been able to celebrate the work that everybody had been doing in the community. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it was just what my heart needed that yeah. day. It was like, oh, I just felt, I felt just, I felt like I truly belonged in the community in Spokane. Like mm-hmm. I felt like, okay, this is home. Mm-hmm. This is where I want to make art. Did you, uh, I'm, I'm very interested, uh, I'm very curious when you said that, did you ever feel like Spokane wasn't a home for you for the art? I mean, in some ways I, I do and I don't still, you know, I don't think I'm going to spend the rest of my life in Spokane. Um, I don't. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you know, and I, again, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm here for as long as I can stay here. But at the same time, I know that I'll always be involved in this community. Even if I leave, I will come back and do a show in Spokane at least once a year, even if I'm not here, because I love this community. I love what we do in this community. You know, there's just something so special about the way that, and it really feels like it's come to, it really feels like that. I think that's the biggest thing. It really feels like it's come together over the past year. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like we have made more connections and more friendships and more collaborations over the past year as an arts community than before the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, this podcast alone, I met, I met people like Jared Petty again, like from IGN. The Imagine Gaming Network, um, Mike Drucker, who wrote for, um, who, who currently writes, and they got a new season renewed of the Samantha B show. <laughs> like, um, like, what's his name? Gosh, from Sing Street, Max Bartos. Like, his show is premiering in December. Like, uh, the live Broadway performance of Sing Street, the musical. Um, Joshua Castile, who else, man? Like, there was just a bunch of people. And the people that I reached out to, like... Um, not to spoil anything because nothing's really set up, but, you know, fingers crossed, uh, Belinda Garcia, who is, um, she currently is one of the writers for the new Call of Duty game, you know, (laughs) which is like kind of crazy. She worked at Ubisoft before. Um, And then just realizing like how many degrees of separation I am from like kind of funny, like these guys that I have on my wall. Can you imagine if I was on their show? That would be so crazy. <laughs> like I'm like one degree separation from those guys, from the Rooster Teeth guys. And 
like, and getting to know these people, but like, you know, like I say one degree separation from these guys, like, oh my God, like uh, connection, but like getting to know them and like getting to be more than just like a fan of the work and actually get to like know them as people. Like that's like, it's so cool. Um, you know, Am Bogart, for example, like I met, I, I got to email Am Bogart, which is like so cool, by the way. Um, she, in a seminar mentioned, you know, like this pandemic, if anything, um, we are not really social distancing in like the metaphorical sense. Like we are, like we are, we are trying to connect more than ever. Cause like the way we used to connect is gone, was gone for a lot, for the longest time, you know, who knows with like this Delta variant, like it, it is truly scary to know, like we can go back, but like, even if we do go back, I'm, we're always going to find a way to connect with people and get to meet people. Um, the other thing, like not to just talk about the podcast, but um, there was a time like earlier in the pandemic where like a theater company in LA was like doing free workshops and, you know, like I, I would donate like a, a few bucks here to their organization. But um, that's how I met my friend, Leah Mata, who did my interview, <laughs> uh, like my interview for Wayward Artists in the Wayward World. Like I met her through this like workshop and talking to her for literally just two minutes and being like, hey, uh, I think you're really cool. We should just connect. Uh, and there was a couple of other people like that too. So not only did we get to learn about playwriting and like directing even too, like I got to connect with those people as well. Um, and then mentoring. I'm very, I'm still very grateful, even though I don't do theater anymore. Like I'm very grateful that I got to mentor Georgia Kittredge, my apprentice. Like she, uh, we don't talk much, you know, cause obviously she's in high school. Like what, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> like, uh, but like uh, she'll, she'll message me once in a while and be like, Hey, um, like the th you know when we talked about like uh the importance of a show and like mm -hmm. what why the play is being produced and stuff like that she brought that up in her class when they read angels in america and why that show is an important show like this year like uh like in this period even though it was written like in the 90s or something um i mean well, i will i will say watching that show at the national theater in london was uh, one of like transformative experiences for theater for me yeah. so i saw, I saw yeah. part one on tv <laughs> oh you did you watch the which one which version did you watch uh it, it was the andrew garfield uh um, andrew garfield one yeah, yeah yeah it was really good um i oh, wish i got to see it but um good show. yeah but then like uh, a couple months uh later like she messaged me and be uh, to be like hey a friend and i are doing like a, a show that's like a podcast like uh it's like a a scripted podcast show <laughs> like long form and then they were wondering how to upload it you know um like you know how like how i upload just like podcast services everywhere anything with a cast at the end we're there you know <laughs> like how do you do that um and then like like just last month i had a much younger uh eleanor uh her name she played matilda in the spoken civic mm -hmm. theater. Uh, i saw that production yeah she uh was like Hey Sid, I want to like do a feminist podcast, and I but I don't know how to like start. And I, I went on a Zoom call with her, and I told her like everything I did, and like I just told her like, hey, I have all this fancy equipment and stuff, but like literally all you need is like your phone, and that's what I had. That was like our humble beginnings. Was just like you know on the Anchor app and trying to figure that out. <laughs> I remember. I remember that's where I did my first interview with you was on the Anchor app. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was that was interesting. Um, I kind of wish I got their money, but like I I can't like um confidently do that anymore so one day we'll get sponsors <laughs> um but yeah talking about connection and stuff like that 
Like, it's so cool. Like, it's, yeah, we've met more and more people. Another one, like, not to take away from you since this is your episode, but like Elias, you know, uh, Elias Rubin, cool kid, lovely. I love him so much. Um, he went to NYU and met him. Yeah. I coached, I helped coach Elias. I yeah. was one of I was his acting coach for a few months uh, yeah. while he was doing auditions for his undergrad degree yeah. schools. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I life coached him <laughs> and then he took a lot from me. Uh, I gave him a few textbooks and stuff. But um, one of the things that I taught him about was Ann Bogart and he met Ann Bogart <laughs> at that school. And he thought like he, he said, like, you know, flowery words like my way to Ann Bogart. And I'm like, I don't know if she like totally remembers me, but now I, I feel like I got to email her again. <laughs> You should email her again. You should, especially if Elias is mentioning you. You should. You should yeah. do it. Yeah. So I was just like, Dang, talk about I... someone who's going to change American theater. Elias. Yeah. Change it. He's just so talented. There we go. He's I, so I, talented. I'm going to message him and tell him you say that. You said that because I think you he, should. Yeah. But um, no, very cool kid. I love it. Um, now that he's 18, he just calls me the B word all the time. <laughs> Because like we're adults now, so it's like as a, like uh, not derogatory b word, but like it's like you know bitch, like that's what I call yeah. it. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, you you never used to do this when you were a minor, <laughs> which is like I guess now that you're an adult, you feel like oh, <laughs> I I don't know, like I notice like the weirdest stuff, but no, like overall, I agree with you, like the connections that we made, like because we had to, we had to, otherwise we'd go crazy. We didn't have anything else we could do, and I think that's what's so important to remember. And you know, I, you know, I, I stay in contact with my friends in the UK through Facebook, and I, you know, I, I think that's one of the best things that technology. You know me; I would just before we even started this interview, I was railing about how much I hate technology and how much we rely on it. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I learned, really, probably one of the biggest things I learned over the pandemic, was that while we were connected, we weren't really connected like we were able to communicate with each other and we could you know we could have conversations but we weren't if a silver lining has come out of this pandemic it is very much that we understand what we need to do in so many different ways you know we can't be telling the same old stories that we're always told we need to change and adapt because you know the world is more than just what the status quo is it's everyone and I think that's always important to remember. Mm-hmm. We tell stories because they need to be told, not because we just want to tell them, but because this story at this time needs to be told. Yeah. And the status quo didn't exist for like a time. Like it was just gone, you know, yeah. like at least the way we knew it. So like, I mean, that's the status quo. I mean, <laughs> like, uh, but um, yeah, it had to, it had to change. Like, if you weren't changing during this pandemic in like some way, good or bad, like, like, I guess bad in the sense, like mental health, like I, I, I went through a lot, like, you know, everyone knows on the show, like what I've been going through, but like also the good change, like there's, I, I'm, I was very grateful for a lot of the eye-opening stuff that uh, this pandemic has made me um, reflect on um, that. I don't think, uh, like, I think like it's interesting because I think I would have had those revelations later in life. And it would ma- would have made me miserable. So I'm glad that uh, I get to have those reflections in the comfort of my house <laughs> and these meltdowns in the comfort of my house rather than uh, doing a show and then realizing, oh, shit, I don't like doing theater. <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm directing this show and I hate it so much, <laughs> you know, or, you know or, or something weird like that. But um, 
yeah, it's we had to change. It, I think it. I think that you know, working in the arts over this pandemic has taught me that life needs to be fun, mm-hmm. and you have to do things that are just fun for you to do. And it's why I commend you with this podcast. And I tell you that every time I see you, it's like, I love that you created this because th- this is what you needed to do and what we needed during the pandemic. Yeah. You know, you doing this helped spark me wanting to do the things that I wanted to do. Nice. You know, I was like, okay, I'm doing this now. We're doing this. We're doing it. It's yeah. time to make art. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Well, have you thought about doing a podcast? I think you would work good, like on a podcast. Like, I mean, you are. Oh, I thought about doing a podcast. No. I mean, well, Jeremy and I have kicked around the idea for fun just because we have. But, you know, that also would mean that I have to have I have to have more time to do a podcast. And quite frankly, I don't know if I have the time to do a podcast. Yeah. All you really need is just like to just sit down, have a like a like what you're doing right now. Just have a cup of coffee and talk about whatever you want to talk about. It's it, it, like I think like what's so interesting is a couple of people come up to me and like, Sid, like, what do you do to like prepare? Like you have notes and everything. Like, and I'm just like, uh, no, um, I, I literally don't even remember the new lightning round questions. I had to like go watch this, that video. Cause I had, didn't have it written down anywhere. Um, I'm glad I had, I glad I wrote down the, uh, the rigmarole because I, um, would always forget to pop the, uh, like the social medias and stuff like that. So it's just like that, that's, that's just hard. <laughs> like it's hard to remember that and i was like oh shoot i forgot to do that like uh that's it's like- hard to remember to do everything like i i have had to become more organized over the pandemic and I, I i thought that i was organized before and i realized i am not organized enough to do what i do so mm-hmm. i have had to force myself to become far more organized than i thought i would ever have to be in the near future yeah um going back to all your amazing titles and like being an actor on stage and uh you know taking a little short break in january and february coming up here what is one thing and you can like choose between either any of the organizations like not to shell on anybody but choose one thing um the one thing that you're the most excited to share with people and why So I had a passion project that I, I that you were in, actually, oh. uh, Words That Change the World, um, that we did at Stage Lab. And I am fortunate that I get to put that show on next summer live. Oh. Um, it's going to be changed. It's going to be different. We're going to do it. We're going to do it entirely differently. I'm going to reimagine it in the way that I think it should be staged live. And it's something that you know, I remember talking to you when I, not when I first had the idea, but I think I'd fleshed it out enough to where I was like, okay, I think this has merit now. I think we can do this. Um, and yeah, I think that's the one I am most excited about that I get to do in the next year. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm taking a break in January, February, cause I turned 30 and I feel like I need to have a break so I can, mm. you know, just rest everything that I've been doing. But there's something so special about creating a project from its inception and seeing, okay, we can't do this live right now. Let's do a virtual production of it and seeing what worked and what didn't work. And then now I get to go back and I get to do it entirely live. I'm doing it for one night only. We're going to record it. So you might be able to see it, but I'm going to do it one night only. I want to do it live. I want to see what it's going to be. 
And it's a project that I think is important, you know, because it's not what I love about it is that it's not preaching. It lets words speak for themselves. You know, you're not you're taking these civil and civic leaders uh, from across, you know, all cultures, all religions, all everything. And you are you're just letting their words speak to themselves, speak for themselves. And you're not commenting on them. You're not doing anything. They get up, they say the words and that's it. And you as the audience decide what the what what their impact is to today. I think that's important. I think I think we've learned that words are are incredibly important and how you use them even more so. And so, you know, we ended I, I'm going to spoil it for anybody who didn't watch it. But, you know, the final two speeches of uh, the last episode of Words That Changed the World, because we did two of them because we had over, you know, three hours of material we could use for it. Um, but the final two speeches that I always wanted to be were FDRs. Um, the only thing we had, it was his first or se- first inaugural address. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And we paired that against um, Ellie Weisel's uh, The Perils of Indifference speech. And, you know, it talks about how FDR knew, you know, everybody knew about the concentration camps. Everybody knew, they all knew. And yet we still hold this man and this high uh, standard as this leader. And so it questions, you know, what is leadership? But it does it by not throwing and throwing a commentary on it. It lets, you know, these civic leaders, these civil leaders put their own words in place about what they believe. And it's not what I believe, it's what they believe. And I think that's, that's the important part. I did not edit the speeches at all. What I did was I might've cut you know, sections out so that it was like, okay, cool. This is so it's a time frame because some of these speeches were three hours long and we can't have a three hour long speech in, a, in what is going to be a <laughs> two hour night. But what we did was we kept the main import of what each speech was about. And it wasn't just me that was looking at it. There were multiple people that saw the speeches uh, before and after we did it. So that we were making sure that it was like, cool, we're not being biased in what is being said. Because I don't, uh, what I love and what I try to do in that piece is that the words alone, it's the words alone that are speaking. And, you know, I, I didn't want any, uh, which we're going to do in this upcoming one, is there's not going to be any sound. You know, we tried to do it on the virtual one of the second night. And that's, I really like the second night. Um, the first night is successful, but the second night was more what I wanted it to be if we were able to do it virtually. And it was this cascading of voices that comes through with everybody reading Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And it builds up to this moment, this very big moment. And then it cuts off and you see Susan Hardy come in and read the Ellie Weisel speech. And it just goes to black. And interspersed throughout all the speeches are, you know, sections of the human rights doctrine, the Declaration of Human Rights from the UN. Because I mean, we selected those, those sections very carefully because they're what the speeches were in so many ways talking about. It was, to me, it, was, it wasn't a piece of theater. It was a piece of performance art. Nice. And I think... That's the hard part about it is when is it theater? When is it performance art? And I was like, you know, I didn't, I think you were the only person who really got their script that was speaking because you translated it. Everyone else, I didn't give their script to until about three days before they were doing it because I didn't want them to act. I very much wanted them to just let the lines live through them as they were saying them because I didn't want them to put their own emphasis on what they thought the speech was. I wanted them to just let the words affect him as they were saying it. And I think, you know, Maeve's speech that kicks off act 
uh, act two, night two of it. She does, uh, I don't remember who she, who she performed, but it was, it was powerful because she did just do it as she was saying it and she let it affect her. You know, the same with Lisa, when Lisa did, um, uh, I had her do the Reagan challenger speech and, you know, uh, Spencer's speech on, uh, Diana's death, Earl Spencer. And it was, you know, I was, I was often in tears and crying in the back because I was like, wow, these words still resonate. These things still resonate today. You know, you go back and even look at, you know, Paul doing uh, Socrates. I had him do Socrates' final apology. And it's like, it's about this whole idea of how do you censor words? And why are you censoring ideas? Mm-hmm. How do you, it's like, it just reminds me of Minority Report. <laughs> dude i'm very i'm very excited for you to do this live like and to give another shot at it um like with an actual audience to see how that will like affect them because like yeah that, that when you approached me with that concept like that i, I thought it was very fascinating and I, I was a little bit sad that it, you you really had to do it like on zoom but i feel like i do you feel like you had to do it on zoom like that that was probably um a good place to start for like this workshop piece that now it's going to be performed for one night only in front of an audience? I think it needed it. You know, I think I needed to see, it's like, yeah, I had these, I had this idea in my head since grad school. And, you know, I was, I was thinking and ruminating about it for a long time and it, it had changed and adapted so many times, but I needed to see how the response would be to it. What would be the change? What would make things different about what it's like? And it needed that step first. It needed to get, it needed to get out of my head, off the page, onto the screen, and then just see what happens because I was too close to it for a long time. I have not really worked on it, thought about it much. You know, I go back and watch it occasionally, but I've, I've really stepped away from it so that it has time to breathe. And that way, when I come back to it at the beginning of the year, I'll look at it with fresh eyes because it will have been almost six months since I have looked at it. And so to me, that's what's important. I put it out there. I saw what was responded to. I saw things that needed to change and adapt because of what I missed in the initial version of it and so now i'm gonna go back and look at it and go how do we make this better how do we make this more inclusive how do we make this more equitable how do we make it more diverse what stories can we tell what speeches can we use who did who did we miss that was going on what in contemporary times now can be used by looking at ancient texts you know i wanted to do the idea of uh splicing through uh historical doctrine all the way back from hammurabi's code and looking at how civilization itself has changed and the way that it uses language has changed because you look at the the basic principles of Hammurabi's code which is you know that's where eye for an eye and all that comes from Mm. and then you go all the way up to the Magna Carta you know you go to the Athenian constitution and then you go up to what the U.S. constitution is you go up to what you know France's constitution, you know, the UK, what are the similarities between them? And what are the differences? What are these cultures trying to get across to what their society thinks is needed? Mm-hmm. And that's when I landed on the UN because I think that the UN was universal. It was a conglomeration of countries and cultures that came together to create this. And a United, a, a, a United Nations, if you will. A United Nations. And so <laughs> one of the speeches that I cut that I didn't really want to um, was... Woodrow Wilson's speech on the formation of the League of Nations, which was the, you know, the precursor to what the UN eventually became. Um, And so I get to go back through and, you know, I I love history. So I get to go back through and I get to read all these historical documents again and be like, why are these important? What is it now? What's important now 
that wasn't important a year ago? What has changed? What has adapted in society? What have we learned from? And I think that's important. It's important to go back and look at these things. You know, we always joke that history repeats itself, but it does. It does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, what you're, the way you're talking right now, it reminds me of like how I approach uh, theater and like when reading a text, right? Like Shakespeare, for example, like and figuring out, okay, like we want to do uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream. And you can just do a Midsummer Night's Dream. Like, that's totally fine. But, like, um, I really like the production that says, like, you know, why are we doing a Midsummer Night's Dream, like, today? Like, what is, what's, t- uh, what's its importance? Um, Joshua Castile, friend of mine, a uh, deaf actor, he was in Romeo and Juliet. And the director um, of that show uh, in Seattle uh, was talking about how he was influenced by um, school shootings and, like, um, you know, that like that young youth, like and being trapped in like that kind of like violence. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's really that's a really cool concept. Uh, like it really just shows that like you're really putting a lot of care into that piece. And um, it sounds like that's what you're kind of like. I think maybe that's the theater part of it, trying to find the relevancy of these speeches to like showcase to the world. I mean, it, it's not so much about it is it's showcasing them, but it's also it's like, why? Why do you, and I think that was the biggest thing. And I focused more on, you know, the, the denizens, the icons of what we would consider these historical leaders, because I was like, why are they still so important today to today? Why do these words still resonate? What is powerful about? Them? And I still don't think I can answer that. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I wanted to throw in, uh, you know, uh, poets. I wanted to throw in playwrights. I wanted to throw in so many different things on this Words That Change the World's uh, show because it's more than just about speeches. It's about words and how you use them. But then when it came down to it, I was like, but inherently a play has a connotation that it has to be performed. So how do we find speeches? Like, you know, I wanted to throw in the speech on, uh, uh, what was it? I wanted to throw in Hamlet's, uh, what a piece of work is man speech. Because I think it's one of his greatest speeches that is delivered on stage. You know, the whole idea of, you know, all this stuff everywhere in here. And then, you know, he brings it back to just him. But what am I in this world, in this universe? What's my place here? What is this quintessence of dust? Mm-hmm. And I think it's. And while I wanted to put that in there, it never would have worked because you are performing that. And you're not letting the words of these historical characters, these historical people speak for themselves because you're going to already add a connotation to it just by hearing it. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, you know, the idea of turning them on its head, you know, not having the same people that would have been reading these speeches were different on purpose. You know, I didn't, I didn't try to, cause you also, I mean, you read the Oppenheimer speech as well, mm-hmm. as well as the one that you uh, translated before this project. And I think What's you know, name, it was important. <laughs> Say his King, name. <laughs> King Faisal in uh, King <laughs> King Faisal, and mm-hmm. I believe in uh, I have it right here on my desktop. Actually, I'm staring at the text right there. So. Yeah. <laughs> but it's King Faisal, yes. Um, and I watched the videos that you sent me that were on him, and some of these speeches, and the fact that he was a progressive, you know, king down in Saudi Arabia, yeah. and that he was assassinated because of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you and you know, I love the idea of, you know, when I was reading your script for the first time, when you translated it, I was like, you know, I was having conversations with other editors and I was like, 
you know, this idea of what he's calling a jihad on. And some of you know, people weren't getting it. And I was like, he's not calling a jihad on this. He's saying he's using the juxtaposition of what jihad is by saying, let's make a better world through this. You know, this is what we have on this connotation. Why don't we look at it through a different lens and say we could be making the world better? Yeah. And and on that part, um, there is two types of jihad, um, which is the jihad that you make in uh, to sacrifice for Allah. Like, and then there's the jihad for the battles that you make within yourself and your community. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, you got that totally right. I'm still here. Okay. No. <laughs> Did it... Uh, did it freeze it froze on me for a minute yeah but yeah. i'm still here yeah you've been freezing like on and off but like not enough to like where it ruins like the whole video like I, it's a simple like editing thing but um that, that might be the sign that <laughs> uh for us to like wrap it up before it gets before it's too late yeah let me uh yeah oh mm-hmm. i can unplug that i'll unplug that i'll move to a different location when we do that you're gonna see yeah. more of my yeah. more of my area with my crazy house <laughs> yeah well i was just gonna say like you got it totally right like that's impressive like because i did i didn't even tell you that <laughs> it's what it is it's about that that is what it is and that's why i loved it because and that's why i said that it, that speech was important to put in there because it was putting the connotation differently mm-hmm. in a different way and it makes you think differently about Got it. And the way that you did it was the exact same thing. It wasn't performed as like, this is what this means. It was performed by the ambiguity of it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love in these speeches, that they are ambiguous because we know them as they are. But what are they now? And we're not listening to these historical people say them. We're listening to people who are my friends, who are your friends, who are pillars in the community doing these speeches. You know? What does it say when they're doing them? What does it say when we have people in our own community saying these words by going, no, don't, don't imagine what they were. Listen to what they are. Mm-hmm. Well, Robert, I think this is going to be an amazing project. Like um, I, I enjoyed doing it like the first time and I'm excited to see what it looks like the second time around for sure. Um, so I'm very excited about it. Like from the moment you like talked about it and uh, like, since we're getting towards the end of the show, uh, mostly because Zoom's going to kick, probably kick us off real soon. <laughs> um, mind, I've moved again, so I actually think you know, I'm back over here. I'll stand. I've got a little more time. I'm oh yeah, that, that's a, it's up to you. That's all right. That's all right. No, uh, it, it, we're we're making good time. I want to ask. Are. I want to ask. I want to talk about you now, like as the final oh. question here. Um, and you know, we brought up Faye. So I'm going to, and I did this for MJ. Maybe this will be a recurring thing for guests. <laughs> um, I don't have a picture or anything. Pretend like um this inlander sticker for best of for the second best podcast in the, the inland northwest is you when you were a child. Um <laughs> uh what is something you want to tell Lil Robert that he needs to know right now? Don't stop dreaming. Mm-hmm. Expound on that. I had, and I think this was the hardest thing over the beginning of the pandemic, and, I, and even probably a few years after grad school, is I just, I don't know if I'd lost my imagination, but I think I just stopped dreaming. I, saw that, I stopped asking, well, why not? What about this? 
you know, what, what else can we do? Why, why can't we do it this way? And, you know, I it run me down because I, I, I felt like I couldn't do the art that I wanted to do in the way that I wanted to do it. And, and more is that, you know, I, I was, I was actually having a conversation with Lucas about this just uh, last week, Lucas lands my best friend. Um, and, you know, I told him, I said, I think 10 year old me would be very proud of where nearly 30 year old me is now in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember growing up, I always wanted to be a villain. I always wanted to play the villain and uh, still haven't gotten to do that on stage yet. If you're all listening, I still have not got to play the villain on stage. Mm-hmm. One day I will. Um, but I think it's, you know, don't stop dreaming. Love what you do. Do what you love. And if it doesn't bring you joy, Marie Kondo, that shit. Yeah. Um, you said something really interesting about losing your imagination, which is ironic because you were nominated for an imagination. How does that feel? Uh, it feels like, really good. Like after, like, I guess in the context of like, after saying like, yeah, I felt like during this pandemic, I lost my imagination. Like, it was be- more of a it was more of a struggle every day to try and get up and continue to make the art that we were doing. Yes, I love the art we were creating. I will always love it. But I hit this wall where I was like, is this fun? Do I really want to be doing this right now? You know, do I really want to get up and tell these stories and make this art? Is this really what I want to do right now? Because it was difficult, you know? you know Bo said it great Bo Burnham said it great in his mm-hmm. uh in his inside which was you know how do you tell a joke when nobody's listening and nobody's watching mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and I think and that's I I felt the same way I was like how do we do this when we don't know who's watching and it's like in what way am I doing this who am I creating this for and I think the first few were for me to remind myself, yeah, okay, we can do this. We can do this. This is, you know, I always, I always say things out loud to myself a lot, like, oh yeah, everything's gonna be fine. And then looks at me and goes, well, I know it's gonna be fine. I, said, I didn't say that for you. I said that for me. Um, I also found that, you know, I talk to myself a lot. Little quirks that I picked <laughs> up in the pandemic. Um, I mumble a lot to myself. Um, but it reminded me that it was always there, and I just had to keep going and I had to keep working hard at it you know like I said there were days I didn't want to get up I didn't want to do what I was doing but I wanted to lay in bed and watch you know movies tv shows everything just to just to try and find the inspiration to do more things and at the end of the day it was doing and having fun with my friends that made me want to keep doing it yeah, it was hard work, but the people that I got to make this with were what made it fun and what made it more enjoyable to do. And at the end of the day, that's when I realized I'm doing this because I can't do anything else. I can't. Yeah. Will you radiate all that? Uh, just so you know, like your energy, it's, Thank you. it's infectious. That's for sure. Uh, wayward artist this has uh, been the rewind we are in the lightning round questions brand new set of questions for Robert here um, it's a series of five questions that I might ask the old guests each every week because um, I don't know we'll see uh, like we're, we're testing the waters they're fun not so quick because we'll talk about them forever Robert are you ready uh, yes yes uh, question number one 
what is one thing you did for yourself today? Mm. Well, I made myself my, I actually was, yeah, it was the pot of coffee. Really? That's what I was like getting on the podcast. I don't usually make coffee for myself in the mornings and I usually go buy it. And I have a couple pounds of coffee from one of my favorite roasters down in Boise. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, we're going to break this out today. We're going to have the good coffee today. Yeah. Was there, was there any reason why you wanted to make coffee for yourself? Like, or just, I didn't have, uh, just you, because it was like, it, I just felt like, yeah, coffee. And okay. I had a donut. I mean, and oh. I treated myself to a donut. So that's nice too. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know me, I love baked goods. Baked goods are my, they're my vice. So mm. I don't have them that often. Um, I don't know. I think it's, and I think that's something I try to do every day. Like, what can I do for myself today? What is one thing every day that I can do for myself to make myself happy? It's, what is it? It's the treat yourself from Parks and Rec. Yeah. So yeah, every day I try to do something like that. Even if it's just going out, you know, having a, coffee somewhere enjoying a walk doing something it's like something that's not out of the not out of the normal for me but something that i don't do all the time nice all right uh question number two um originally this was going to be what song describes your life right now but you already answered that question on the 12th night episode which was like dang okay um we're gonna have to ask him something different um well but i guess the song that describes your life right now changes all the time we'll see how this feels uh question number two What's your favorite book? What What are you reading right now? Or what have you read within the last year? Because I haven't read a book in a while. <laughs> I won't blame you if you don't, if you haven't. I mean, I, <clears throat> at the beginning of the pandemic, I broke out. Uh, I reread the entirety of Shakespeare's canon. So I did that. Um, yeah. Yeah, you did little performances for yourself. That was, you said. I did. I did do performances for myself at home. When I was stuck at home during this shutdown and lockdown, I performed the, I did all the parts in the shows. I performed them for myself. Mm -hmm. And then I met up with some friends and I started doing them online with friends. Um, So I I reread all of, you know, uh, all 37 of his plays and all the Apocrypha, um, all the poems. I reread everything over the pandemic, over the year. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I, no, no, I don't. I, I, I've been bad about reading uh, yeah. books lately. I've been very bad about reading books lately. I need to read more. I have a stack of, you know, Shakespearean critical theory that I'm, I'm working my way through right now, mm-hmm. but we'll see if I get there. Yeah, I feel that I'm, I'm still trying to read some of these star Wars books there behind me. <laughs> uh, I bought a, I've, I've actually read the, the first part of the, the high Republic, which is like, this is amazing. Like, um, not to like delve in too much of it, but like, it's the Jedi, the way you expect them to be, which is like these wise, amazing, powerful people, not like how they are in the prequels or even like in the, the original or sequel trilogies. Like these are the Jedi at their prime. And it's just like, it's, it is so cool. And like, the stories are like interesting. Like it takes place about 200 years before the first episode. Um, so it is, and there's a lot of new characters, just some queer characters in there. Like, I'm just like, this is, I like this. And then I was reading part two and I was, I remember reading like the first two chapters and like, you know, all the, like, I was getting emotional. I was like, dang, some of the stuff that they're saying in here, it's like, I was already sad, <laughs> but I never finished it. Like, I have to like find a time to reread this book. Uh, Cause it's like, these are really good books. Um, That's how, I mean, I did, I guess I did uh, my niece, 
my niece got me hooked back on reading some of the Percy Jackson series books. So yeah, I reread. I reread. I did. I reread all of those, um, and I started reading. They can be fun the, books, Robert. They don't have to be. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> I, I those books are like candy to me. I love them. Um, I remember, like uh, when I was in undergrad, I was going over and trying to find them, and I went into Barnes Noble one time, and I was like, "Where do I get this book?" And they were like, "Oh, it's back in the." I was looking like, oh, young adult section. No, it's back in the children's section back in this area. Like, <laughs> this is what I want. This is the book that I want. And so, but I had to stop because I had to start remembering. I think that's the problem is I've been doing so many shows lately that I've had to just focus on living in the scripts that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm remounting an Iliad in December. Damn. And so that's like, as soon as, as soon as I finish complete works, I am just living in that script. That is the only text that I will probably read for six weeks straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and the Robert Fagel's version. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be a fun show. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we get to the second, the the third question, um, like uh, a sub question, if you will, did you learn anything new this time reading Shakespeare? Like for the, probably the millionth time, Mister Shakespeare Scholar. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I did. It's actually, and it's something that I I didn't. You know, I was taught it in grad school, but it doesn't hit you until you know, you spend a lot of time reading it. It's that it's just so wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the way that Shakespeare uses words. You know, what is it? It's, uh, it's. I always joke, National Treasure is one of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. just so anybody knows that. The Nicolas Cage version, National Treasure is one of my favorite movies. And there's a way, there's a line that... Um, I don't remember her name. She says it where it's like, people don't speak like that anymore. And I was like, that's how I feel when I read Shakespeare. People don't speak like that anymore. You know, you get to this heightened emotion and you get this heightened experience in your life. And it's like, why don't you just tell people what you really feel? Mm. Why don't you just really just be completely honest and open and vulnerable with people in these moments? And I feel like, you know, we, we talk about how we do that, but do we really live practically and do that? Like, I think it's something that I have tried to do more of. I try to be very present. And I think that's what, you know, what I've learned about living on the line and Shakespeare. And that's the hardest thing you can do in Shakespeare is you can't think about the next line. You need to be thinking about immediately what you're saying in this moment. And it teaches you that you have to be present. Mm -hmm. And that to me is something that I have tried to incorporate into my life throughout the whole, throughout this whole pandemic is like, how can I continue to be present in my day-to-day life? Mm-hmm. There we go. Amazing. Great answer. <laughs> uh, question number three. What's a piece of advice, good, bad, fake, you know, like, or funny that you want to give to somebody right now? You are enough. You know what? Like, I think someone, no, MJ did say that. Like, <laughs> well, uh, they didn't say it like as part of the lightning round question, but they said it like uh, to their past self. That like you, you, you are know. enough. Yeah. Expound. What do you mean by that? Um, it's something again, I was taught in grad school. Um, no, I didn't wasn't taught it. I think I was just it was it was told to me that you are enough. Um <laughs> you know, we have all the, there's all these different things that we have going on in our lives, all these different things that we're doing, that we're wanting to do, you know, these hopes, aspirations, you know, failures, uh, everything that you do in life, and then at the end of the day, you're always wishing, well, I could always do more. I could always do this. I could always do this, this, and this, you know, but it's like, 
at the end of the day, you are enough. You are enough. And I think it, it, it's humbling to me because it reminds me that everything that I do at the end, at the end of it all is basically because I want to and because I can and because I am enough. I don't have to try to be anything else but me. Mm-hmm. And that's important to remember. There we go. I am enough. You are enough. Mm. Word. Absolutely. You know, it, I had that, I had that post-it note. I remember I, when I, when I left, when I first got my, uh, I haven't looked at my degree from my MFA. I don't even have it hanging. It's in my desk in my room <laughs> and I have a post-it note on there. And I remember when I first put it on there and I, when I opened it up, uh, actually last year before I moved, it's still sitting in my desk, probably with it in there. And the post-it note just says on it, you are enough. This paper doesn't matter. This degree that you have from Boise State, this degree you have from the RBC, doesn't matter. You are enough. That's nice. it. Plain and simple. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to like think that. Like it's uh it's easy to say, but it's hard to live by. Um, I feel like with therapy and ever like and all this, like the podcast and stuff, like I feel like I've finally come to a place where I can like say that and feel confident about it. And you know, um, you know, going back to Khalif and like what he said after the show. And like the praise that he gave me, like for the interview that, that he gave, uh, that I gave. And I was like, dang, well, thank you. Yeah. You've been, you've been doing this for eight years and you just recently, like in the last year or two, just got your flowers. Like you got your recognition and it's, to hear that from him was like, and from Jared Petty too, like talking about, like talking about that. And eventually one day being on the show, <laughs> he's very bad at texting. So it's like, <laughs> all right, you said you were ready to do it. Well, when, when? Well, I'm ready, but uh like to hear him like praise me in that way too. It's just like, man, for the first time, I feel very confident of like, uh, as an artist, you know, um, question number four, I think this is question number four. <laughs> We've been talking a lot. Um, what is the worst food, piece of food that you've ever had? Like, what's the worst thing you've ever ate, eaten? I was, oh, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, all right. I was, uh, I was, I was over in grad school and we went to a gelato store and they had uh, squid ink gelato Ooh. on a whim. I decided, oh yeah, let's just try it. Let's see it. Worst, wow. worst thing I have ever eaten that. And yeah. Yeah, that's probably it. I mean, I just don't. Yeah, I, mean, I don't really it. like to. I don't describe really. What, it was what, grainy. It didn't really <laughs> mix in very well. Like it was just ugh, mm. ugh. Like I mean, uh, you just let the sour taste in your mouth. Like, like a sour what, taste in your mouth. It, is it really just sour? Like describe the taste. Like for the people. No, it know. wasn't sour. It was just like it's just not what you expected. Like it's not. I don't know. I mean, I've had squid ink, and you know, when I have, you know, uh, uh, what's the dish? I don't remember, but it's just, it was not, the combination did not work together. How about that? <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. All right. Um, question number five. And there's a, uh, a, and there's a correct answer to this question, actually. 
Um, oh, there the, is. Okay. Yeah. What is the best M&M, peanut or plain? Oh, peanut. Oh, geez. <laughs> Another it's peanut one. M&M. What are you, what are you doing? It's peanut M&M. I, it's I, peanut M&M. I like plain. I think that's the best one. <laughs> but it's still subjective. There's no wrong answer to that. You just, you I mean, subjectively I, like the plain you know, M&Ms. You know, like it, it, it's right to me, damn it. <laughs> I will never discount that. I think you're wrong, but okay. <laughs> it's All right. peanut. It's peanut M and M. I actually usually have a gigantic one pound bag of it inside that I can just go hmm, peanut M and M. Yeah, I have a, I have a one pound bag right now of like just plain M and M's. No, yeah. no, it's it's sitting right there, right next to my bed. Uh, you know, same deal. Just like mm, plain M and M's. it's the you know it's like i don't like you know i don't like um reese's pieces i don't like you know uh, peanut butter i just i don't like the 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 ground peanut butter with the chocolate but it's just the right amount with a chocolate covered peanut and the hard shell candy of the m&m it's just enough that's fair all right. Well, um, you're wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> um, favorite artist. This has been the Rewind. Catch us uh, every Sunday at, at 10, 10, at 10 a.m. Pacific time on podcast services around the globe. Everywhere with the cast at the end, we are there. Uh, we're on YouTube. Just type in the Wayward World podcast because YouTube will not give us a URL because uh, we don't have 100 subscribers. So I guess we're not worth it. <laughs> um, and then support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Wayward World podcast to support the show and keep the lights and mics on. Um, Robert, do you have any last words? Um, thank you for watching. Yeah. Subscribe to the show. Get sent yeah. up to 100. Get sent get up to the subscribers so that he can have the URL. Yeah. We need that. 94. I just need 94 more subscribers. We'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. You'll get yeah. there. I hope so. Yeah. Um, where would artists without further ado? It's been real. 